Wealth management is not just for the wealthy. Everyone is entitled to their best retirement possible. Welcome to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan, your path to a bigger, bolder retirement. Brought to you by Caden Wealth Management, a firm that specializes in serving the mobility technology industry. In this podcast, we help you maximize your resources and engineer your best retirement through a process-driven approach so you can get the little things right. Drawing from years of expertise, Jim and his guests will simplify complex wealth management strategies and explore actionable ideas to help you protect your hard-earned wealth and take control of your future. Now, on to the show. Welcome back. And in today's episode, we're going to tackle an intriguing topic that challenges the conventional wisdom surrounding retirement savings. Now, while 401k plans have long been the go-to option for retirement, we're going to explore the compelling case for health savings accounts, HSAs. These could be a better alternative. We're going to uncover the unique advantages of HSAs with your host, Jim Cruzan, and why they could potentially outshine 401ks in building a bigger, bolder retirement. I'm Patrice Sikora. So, Jim, what exactly is a health savings account? And is it a tool everyone has access to? Great question. Uh, it, it's actually a deferred savings account, just like a 401k is a deferred savings account, except it's really only available for those who are in a high deductible healthcare program. So if you're in a healthcare program through work and that program has a minimum deductible of $1,500 per person or $3,000 for an individual, and maximum out of pocket of nothing more than 7,500 per person or 15,000 per family, then that's considered a high deductible program. And if you're enrolled in one, you can then open up an HSA. HSAs have been around now for probably 10 years. And since I've been around for over 40, I can tell you that the the launch of these HSAs is is very similar to kind of the launch we saw many, many, many years ago with IRAs. There weren't a lot of people participating. Uh, there weren't a lot of uh, uh, there wasn't a lot of growth uh, within the industry with respect to IRAs. And uh, we're kind of at that same stage, but I expect to see explosive growth in HSAs over the course of the next decade or so is people realize the, the benefits of participating and how flexible they might be as a useful tool to provide efficient, uh, low tax retirement-based cash flow. Tax. You mentioned tax. Talk to me about any advantage here. There are several. Um, actually, if you think of, uh, of an HSA, it's sort of like the love child of an uh, of a 401k and a Roth IRA combined. If, if they ended up producing an offspring, it would be the HSA because it's the only vehicle out there that an individual can put money into and get a complete tax efficiency throughout. So what I mean by that is all contributions are tax deductible, just like a 401k. All growth inside an HSA is tax deferred. The, those, the assets continue to grow without incurring tax liability or a 1099 on growth. 
And then if we distribute the money in retirement and use it for health care purposes, all those distributions are entirely tax-free, much like a Roth IRA. So you get an incredible amount of tax efficiency uh, throughout the savings, the accumulation, and then also the distribution cycle. Who was crazy enough to come up with such a great idea? <laughs> it's, a, a, it, it's a wonderful idea. There are some limitations. Uh, the first one, as I mentioned, is you've got to participate in a high deductible plan. The other limitation is uh, when you get to age 65, um, you're involved at that point in Medicare. Mm -hmm. And just simply because of the nature of Medicare coverage, that is no longer considered a high deductible program. So we have a kind of a, a, a unique kind of set period of time that we can save money in one of these things. And those who are still working, maybe beyond age 65, uh, they won't be able to continue contributing to that. But if you're married and your spouse is still less than age 65, you may be able to do a partial contribution. What happens if I have an HSA and then I change employers? Yeah, the the HSA is is really somewhat unique and again very similar to a 401k in that uh, it's portable. So at some point in time you were to leave the employment of your current employer who set this up as an employee benefit, you own the account, you can leave the account uh, with the with the current custodian which is typically a bank and you can continue to make contributions to it directly as opposed to through a payroll deduction program. Or if your new employer has a HSA program that would be different than the one you have, um, you will be able to do a tax-free rollover of the existing HSA into a new employer's HSA if you cared to do so. Can you have more than one HSA? You can. Uh, you can, because of change in employment, there could certainly be situations where an individual might have several dormant mm -hmm. HSAs started and stopped with one employment period and maintain that uh, separately away from the employer. And then they're currently active in a new HSA as well. I just think from a from a paperwork and logistics point of view, it would certainly make far more sense at some point to consider trying to consolidate some of those dormant accounts into just a single account. It certainly makes it easier from a, a payment perspective if you were ever to turn the spigot on and use the HSA to cover healthcare costs, et cetera. I should think it's also easier from a planning perspective. You're looking at one account, one number, and you know what you have, what you can do. Absolutely, right. All right. So HSAs, they sound fantastic. I wish they'd been around before, but how are they different from an FSA, a flexible spending account? Yeah. So uh, FSAs have been around actually even longer still. And to a large degree, they tend to be a little bit restrictive. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. With a HSA, it's generally 
established by the employer. It's owned by the individual participant. So you own your HSA, and as a result, it's quite portable. With an FSA, that is a an account that the employer establishes, but it is, at the end of the day, owned by the employer. So as an employee were to leave employment and go elsewhere, uh, there's a chance that if there's any unspent balance in that account, mm. uh, that may be defaulted uh, and it might be left with uh, the existing employer. So as a result, um, with an FSA, to a large degree, there's this anxiety at the end of a year where you kind of use it or lose it. And because there's not a, an awful lot of opportunity to carry balances forward uh, because the account is just not set up that way. So many FSAs uh, will allow you to roll over into the following year about $500. That's the maximum. So generally what happens is you get this year-end uh, healthcare spend. right? And to a large degree, sometimes the decisions made are more about what can I spend this money on before December 31st than really being more proactive and more efficient in how we're actually spending our medical. Well, I don't necessarily need another pair of glasses, but I can chew up some of the balance in my account by going and getting another pair of glasses. Uh, the other difference uh, has to do with uh, contributions. Uh, with an FSA, you can put about $3,050 in, into, uh, into the plan. And uh, with a HSA, uh, you can put, an individual can put $3,850. And if you're over age 55, there's a $1,000 per hmm. year catch up. So uh, you can put literally forty-eight, fifty, nearly five thousand. So you can actually put a whole lot more money in the HSA. And as I said before, because it's not only portable, and because it is owned by the employee, it allows balances to carry forward. So it becomes a cumulative tool. You will never be able to accumulate a sizable amount of money in an FSA, where. As, as a comparison, you can accumulate a tremendous amount of money over a period of time in an HSA. Right, right. All right, now we were, we've talked about we're going to compare this to a 401k. So let's start doing that since we have a really good working knowledge of the HSA right now. Why is it better than a 401k? Yeah, let me, um, let me qualify that a bit. Okay. Uh, it, it, certainly, it certainly is better if we consider 401k spend as it relates to healthcare. So we, we have to have a belief that there will be in existence in retirement, a need to spend some money on healthcare. I think that's, uh, that, given. Yeah. that's, that's yeah. pretty well a given. There's not a, a huge amount of argument there. In fact, uh, there's been tremendous study on that and, uh, uh, many of the studies uh, would suggest that you know the average spend for an individual in retirement is something in the order of $5,700 for a couple, just under $12,000 a year. And that might be outright direct spend on non-reimbursable medical. It might be premium spend as well, but it's sizable. 
and it's ongoing. And one would also expect that as one gets older, there may actually be an increase in healthcare-related spend. So if we look at putting money into a 401k with the expectation that some of that money will be coming out and we will be using it for medical spend versus putting some of that money in an HSA for medical spend, we might find the situation where money accumulating in an HSA to be released in retirement to cover medical spend may actually be a better, more tax-efficient tool than a 401k. Let me give you an example. Let's say that a an individual has a 401k and they are putting $100 away. And we'll make this really simple. Mm-hmm. And the employer actually has a 25% match. So immediately that $100 becomes $125. And let's forget about growth in the account because growth in the account would be similar, whether it's an HSA or a 401k to a large degree. And we we move from the 401k, the $125 that we had gotten uh, as contribution and match. And let's assume that we're in a 20% tax bracket in retirement. Immediately, that $125 is reduced back to 100 mm. right? Because of the tax effect. In an HSA, you would put the $100 in. There generally, typically isn't an employer match, although there could be. We can talk about that in a moment. And what you pull out is also $100. So you could extrapolate and say, well, geez, I guess that means that if somebody, depending on the match and their tax bracket, they may find it more favorable to save in an HSA. Clearly, if somebody's tax bracket was higher than 20%, moving the money out of the 401k they would wind up with less than the original 100 they started with, whereas the $100 they put in the HSA will always be 100 because there's no tax effect to it on the back end. Right. And it becomes a super useful tool. I would prefer to build up large buckets of HSA, uh, which can then be used to cover a lot of the medical expense post-retirement. That's vastly more effective than pulling taxable income out of a 401k. It also becomes impactful when we consider our client's total tax situation post-retirement, because depending on modified adjusted gross income, depending on taxable income, uh, they may actually find uh, that they're paying an increased premium, effectively a surcharge, for the Medicare premium and Medicare that they're receiving. So having the ability to modify modified adjusted gross income and taxable income is a very big deal. In our practice, uh, we talk a lot about triangulation of assets, uh, asset location, and the idea is going into retirement. We know we're going to have a sizable amount of pre-tax dollars. Those are dollars that have been accumulated through 401k buildup over a career. 
but we also want to have a tax-free bucket and a tax-preferred bucket. And when we talk about tax-free buckets, monies that we can pull out post-retirement with no tax consequence, obviously uh, HSA can become a big component to that, as would, let's say, a, a Roth IRA as well. So being able to maximize and, and fully fund those things uh, certainly makes uh, makes good sense. The account also is quite portable uh, and, and flexible to the extent that after age 65, the restriction of pulling money out only to satisfy medical expense goes away. Now, let me take a step back. If you have an HSA and you decide that you are going to pull money out and spend it on something other than medical, there's a 20% penalty. It's sizable. Yeah. And actually, it's it's greater than the 10% penalty you would have by pulling money out of a an HSA or a 401k or an IRA before age 59 and a half. So it's significant. It's uh, it's, it's something there mm -hmm. to really restrict the act, that activity. That said, when we get to age 65, you can pull money out of the HSA and spend it for things other than medical. And that 20% penalty goes away. It's no longer there. So after age 65, if you wanted to think about it, the HSA really acts an awful lot like a 401k. In a 401k, after age 65, it doesn't matter, there is no 65 restriction, you pull money out, it's fully taxed, there's no penalty. In an HSA, after 65, you can pull money out, spend it on whatever you want, and there also is no penalty. It's certainly taxable. The growth and the, the gain and the contribution is taxable, mm -hmm. just like it would be in a 401k. So it provides a lot of flexibility. Um, early on, uh, when HSAs were first developed, there were a lot of people who thought, oh, geez, I'm never going to spend this money on healthcare, or I'm never going to spend that much money on healthcare. Well, now we're realizing that, you know, you can mm -hmm. spend it on something else. Um, the other thing is when people think about HSAs and think about it from the standpoint of healthcare spend, they usually think about it from the standpoint of covering non-reimbursable -re medical expenses, you know, expenses that generally would qualify as a deduction. Well, you can use monies in an HSA for other type of medical spend as well. For example, a lot of people don't realize that you can use the HSA to actually pay for your medical premium, the cost of your health care, if you're in a job transition and covered under COBRA. So as we're entering potentially a recession and we have individuals who are being laid off and they're carrying their medical coverage that they had through their employer for an extended 18 months or so under COBRA, they can actually tap an account like this on a tax-free basis 
to use those assets to cover medical premium. You can also use HSA to cover your Medicare premium. Uh, that would be Part B, Part D, or Medicare Advantage. So you can see where there could be a huge opportunity, many different uh, ways to spend this money uh, post-retirement. Uh, and that's, that's really quite flexible. The other thing that people aren't typically aware of is you can use your HSA account to cover premiums for long-term care. That would be awesome. Yeah. And obviously, it's the nature of the beast. Um, we are constantly talking to clients uh, about the huge increases uh, they're seeing in terms of meta uh, long-term care uh, premium costs. These things are rising rapidly. And to have a a tax-free accumulation sitting out there that can help cover some of these expenses, which are starting to get quite sizable, um, it certainly would help, as opposed to pulling money out of a 401k and having all that as additional taxable income as well. It sounds to me as if you've got a, if you have a 401k, you have an HSA, you're set if you use them properly. <laughs> yeah, our practice kind of believes in the the adage uh give till it hurts so <laughs> so we want to take full advantage of all the funding opportunities that a client may have again as it relates to orchestrating those three separate buckets of of asset location from a tax perspective and and we want to make sure that we are filling those buckets as much as possible. So, you know, first thing we would look at is, do we want to participate in, in both? Absolutely. We would look at concentrating on fully maxing 401k typically. Then we would look at fully funding uh, HSA. Uh, then we would look at, uh, is there any opportunity to fund outside of the employer Roth IRAs and other things as well. Again, uh, moving toward this idea of having sizable asset balances within uh, the three principles, pre-tax, tax-free, tax-preferred, because then we've got a lot of flexibility in terms of orchestrating cash flow. Jim, this has been an eye-opener of a conversation. I do wish HSAs had been around a lot longer than they have yeah. been. Is there something we haven't touched on yet that you want to make sure we do? Well, we, we mentioned just briefly 401k as it relates to corporate matching. There aren't a lot of programs that actually match uh, HSA contributions, you know, uh, per contribution. So I, hey, I'm putting $100 a, a pay in my HSA as my employer adding to that. You see that a lot within the 401k space, mm -hmm. but there are many employers who will um, deposit money into an HSA uh, for their, their employees. I know a very large um, employer in, in our space uh, that is within our niche of mobility technology who makes a, uh, an annual contribution of $1,500 um, every year to every employee who can show that they completed their annual physical. That's so not too shabby. You, you, no. So you come back to HR and say, hey, here, I had my physical with my primary doctor. 
and you get that contribution. Um, at our firm, I'm, I'm happy to say that we um, <clears throat> migrated to a, a high deductible uh, healthcare program a number of years ago. And then I created at the same time an HSA for the, the entire team. And what I do is I contribute $1,500 at the beginning of every year for every employee as the, the program itself has a $1,500 deductible, I wanted to make sure that I was kind of covering that by way of the uh, HSA. And we have a number of employees who are adding to their contribution beyond our corporate contribution. One other point on that, when we talked before about the annual limits on funding, uh, the fact that you can put $3,850 in uh, if you're below or beneath age 55, um, any limit would need to be netted out against any corporate involvement. So in our case, if we're putting $1,500 away, then the employee, if they were interested in maxing the program out, uh, would uh, only be able to put $2,350 right. in because we already have $1,500. Still not a bad deal. Not a bad deal not at all. Not a bad deal at all. No, no, no. Yeah, we're we're open for business. We're looking at hiring individuals who would like to tap into the wonderful benefits that we provide our team members. Give us a call. Right. Patrice will tell you in a minute how to do that. <laughs> I will. But first, I'm going to say we did explore the potential of health savings accounts in this episode as a fantastic retirement savings tool compared to 401ks. We discussed the triple tax advantages of HSAs, their long-term investment potential, and the flexibility and control they offer. By comparing HSAs to 401ks, we highlighted the contribution limits, employer match, the role of healthcare expenses in retirement planning. And we hope you're going to give these strategies a think. And if you need someone to help put this all together, give Jim and his team at Caden Wealth a call. Remember, Exploring alternative options like HSAs could potentially revolutionize your retirement planning and lead to a bigger, bolder retirement. Be sure to subscribe to the Retirement Engineer podcast so you don't miss future episodes and follow at Caden Wealth on social. Let us know what you think in the comments. And of course, please share topics you'd like us to discuss or guests you'd like to hear from in future episodes. Following and sharing this podcast helps our small show make a bigger impact. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Retirement Engineer. Thank you for listening to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.cadenwealth.com or give us a call at 800-638-6900. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of Jim Cruzan and this episode's guests not necessarily those of Caden Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.